Good morning. Uh, it's very excited to be with you today. Happy that you joined us online. And um, I'm very happy because this is the last message in our scripture talk series, Sacred Reflections. This is actually part number 20 in our series. And uh, we actually began this in November of 2020, so November of last year. And, you know, as Pastor Day's been saying, and uh, week in and week out, we have been walking, not running, through the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been sitting with Jesus' words and going through it verse by verse. So really uh, excited to close off today in this very, um, in what's called, in what's been called the, the greatest sermon ever told. So um, let's begin. Uh, this message today is entitled Built to Last. And let's begin with our passage to ponder as we have every week. And that comes from Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. And it says this, For I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord for us today. And so the entire Sermon on the Mount is about how our righteousness, our approach to right living, must be deeper than external acts, right? Um, Jesus says throughout um, the Gospels, many times he's been accusing the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, of just being superficial in their, in their religion. And Jesus is saying that for our righteousness, it actually has to emerge from within. And we actually have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live up to Jesus' teaching. And Jesus has a very practical but challenging moral ethic. And so Jesus has now come to the conclusion of his message. He's at the end of his sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to read from um, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. But uh, first, we're just going to read the first three verses, 24 through 27. And we're going to, um, and we're going to look at Jesus' words. And then the gospel writer, Matthew, is going to close out in, in the final couple of verses. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and this is his entire message of the Sermon on the Mount from chapters 5 through 7, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. That's the end of verse 27. So I don't know about you. I don't know, you know, have you ever been in a tropical storm? Have you ever been in one? You know, I've been in one. And when I read this, uh, when I read this passage, um, that's what comes to mind. I have, I've been in a couple, but I, I've been in one very vivid one that I can remember. And um, you know what, it was 1988. I was just four years old, but I still have some very vivid images that are just kind of embedded in my mind. And if you know anything about tropical storms, um, you'll know that uh, the uh, barometric pressure, that's the Earth's, um, that's the atmospheric pressure in the Earth. Uh, when there's a big drop in barometric pressure, that actually typically correlates to stronger winds and a more intense storm. And um, the storm that I have vivid memories of, despite being just four years old in, in 1988, uh, was Hurricane Gilbert in Jamaica. And really, at the time, Hurricane Gilbert was actually the most intense storm 
on record in the entire North Atlantic. And um, it only became surpassed by uh, Wilma in 2005. So it was actually the most intense storm when you look at um, atmospheric pressure and strong winds. And, you know, if you look at it, for Hurricane Gilbert to be the number two storm in history in, in, in the North Atlantic, one, that, one storm that we're very familiar with is Hurricane Katrina. That happened in, in many of our, our lifetimes very recently. And that actually ranks number seven comparatively compared to Hurricane Gilbert in 98, which was ranked number two in terms of intensity. So Hurricane Gilbert, it was destructive. It, um, it claimed over 400 lives in Jamaica. Um, wind gusts actually hit uh, up to 295 kilometers an hour. Uh, hundreds of thousands of homes were damaged and many destroyed even. And, you know, I have this very vivid imagery. I picture and I can remember looking out the window and seeing the palm trees like this, horizontal. I can remember that. I can remember uh, looking out the window and seeing the rain blow this way, blow sideways, not fall down, but blow sideways. And I remember looking out the window and seeing debris just scattered all throughout the air. The air looked cluttered like, I, I don't know how to describe it, except maybe a polluted ocean of just things in there. And when I look at this, and I, I talk to my mom about this, my mom always reminds me of the time that during that storm, you know, my, uh, my dad and my uncle, they had to go on our roof to kind of hammer it down and, and keep it from blowing off. And, you know, Jesus is saying that natural storms, they happen just like that. And even if, there's, um, even if there is forecast of those storms to come, there are things that we can do to protect the home, trying to keep the roof down, trying to keep the windows, batten down the hatches, as you may. Um, but you know what? The storms of life, those spiritual storms of life, sometimes those things come with no notice at all. And Jesus is saying that, there is still something though that we can do to prepare for those storms of life. So Jesus is also saying in his Sermon on the Mount here that you know, our lives, we're actually vulnerable without a relationship to him. And we know that storms come in life. That is something that's just common knowledge. So that's not the crux of Jesus's message here. Um, we know that, we have lived it. You have your experiences, I have my experiences. We can talk about storms in our life previously. And unfortunately there'll be more to come. But Jesus's crux of his message though, is that preparation actually comes before the storm. So when you look at this message and you look at this passage, you see there's so many parallels, right? There's two men and there's two houses and they're facing the same situation. So let's just take Jesus' analogy for a minute. And let's say presumably, you know, let's take these men and let's say that they, um, we're gonna assume that they want the same things in life, right? They, um, they want a home for themselves. They want a home for their families. They want a safe protection from the environment. Uh, they want a loving, safe home, right? These are all things that people want. And from the outside, each home looks, um, looks the same. They look identical, right? From the outside, each home seems durable. Each home seems sound. Each home seems like a place where you'd want to reside. And we can also even take from Jesus's picture that they're probably in the same location because as, we, as Jesus describes, they actually face the same type of, of test. They're subjected to the same test, which is the rain, the floods, and the wind. But in the end, one house is left standing and the other isn't after the storm. So as we know, um, these storms and tests in life, they're inevitable. Things we trust in, they'll be shaken. 
you know, our money, health, relationships, our faith, all, even our faith, all those things will actually be tested and they might come a time of shaking. And we want to be able to say that we survived it after these things have come upon us. So Jesus says um, that, you know, a foundation built on him is tested, is tried, is secure, it's safe to build on, right? But anything else we do is sand. And, you know, just like the storm reveals the quality of our home, the test reveals the substance of our faith. So it's not just that these storms will come, as I said, we know this, but Jesus' message is that we can prepare before the storm comes. When you look at the house that fell, when the storm came, it was already too late for that house. The, the house, it fell during the time that the builder needed it the most, right? At the time where he really depended on, the time where it was most challenged, that's when it fell. When you look at it, during that moment, there's no time to build a new house. The only thing that could have been done is to build a house better and more securely before the storm had come. And, you know, Jesus, um, um, the, the gospel writer Matthew records Jesus' message here, but the gospel writer Luke actually records a different similar message called, oftentimes called the Sermon on the Plain. And that passage actually gives us a little more insight into maybe the mentality of those two builders. So, you know, what we're going to see here is that the wise builder digs deep before the storm arrives. So let's go over to Luke in this similar passage. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 begins this way. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Um, uh, Pastor Dave talked about that last week from the passage in Matthew. Right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? But as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not shake it because it was well built. Let's pause here. You know, in the hot summer months, uh, the sand around the Sea of Galilee, it actually became a little bit hard on the surface. But the wise builder knew that, you know, even hardened sand is still just sand. Right? So the wise builder knew he actually had to dig deep several feet below until he hit the bedrock to build his foundation. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This is the analogy. So let, let's just continue and finish. Um, in, in verse 49, Luke, uh, the gospel writer Luke records it this way, but the one who hears my words, Jesus says, and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So, Jesus is saying the person who has a secure foundation laid on him is the one who digs deep. This is the person who does the difficult, messy work of trying to live like Jesus. This is the person who decides to put Jesus's words into practice. It's very hard to do, right? So remember, you can only secure your house the most before the storm comes. So here's the challenging part for us. We're in actually in a precarious position here. Because Jesus is saying that we can actually fool ourselves into thinking that because we've heard this message, that we somehow lived it out. But Jesus says that hearing and listening are not the same thing. Just hearing the message doesn't mean that our spiritual house, the foundation of our spiritual house is secure, right? So Jesus is saying if we actually just hear the words without putting them into practice, we actually leave our spiritual house defenseless. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones calls this the terrible and subtle danger of self-deception, right? I was reading in my devotionals this past week, and um, 
it was very good. They, they made this distinction, uh, the, the devotional writer made this distinction between um, our faith and our trust, right? Faith is what she was saying was our belief in God, but our trust is really our faith put into action. When we trust God, we actually do what he says. I love that. I thought that was great and was so appropriate for here. So digging down deep, it, it actually looks like applying Jesus's teaching in our daily life. Okay, and the, the gospel writer, James, um, he does a great, or I should say the, 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 the writer James, the brother of Jesus, he does um, an excellent job of this. You know, he's basically saying in the book of James throughout it, faith without action is useless. Um, in chapter one, verse 22, James says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. All right, let's read that again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. That's the crux of the message. Do what the word says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they had heard, but actually doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. There's blessing in doing the word. So for Jesus, going back to the, the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, being a doer of the word, what Jesus is saying, what James is saying in this case is putting the Beatitudes into practice, right? Let's look and, and, and recap some of the things that Jesus actually said in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the person who's doing, as I said, the messy work of living like Jesus. You know, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said this. He said, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. He also said, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is a really challenging one in today's culture. Um, you know, we have been privy to, especially in the last year and a half or so, um, many different things that have called into um, our mind, what is just and what is merciful, what is right and what is wrong. But God's justice is really rooted in his desire to see things made whole again, right? Uh, God had made the world in a particular way, but sin entered it, and all of a sudden it's now, it's now marred it, right? The world is not meant, is not the way it's meant to be. We can feel that, right? And so God, though, he doesn't just see us as the perpetrators of sin, which we have, we've all done something wrong, but he also sees us as the victims of sin because it's in his mercy that he recognizes that we've actually been afflicted by our sin and the sin of others, right? My sins hurt you, your sin has hurt me. Our sins hurt each other. And unfortunately, our own sins hurt ourselves, right? So when we look at it, you know, justice today and mercy today, these are really tough topics, but God's idea of justice and mercy is to actually, is actually to, in your mercy, recognize the pain that someone's going through and acting to relieve it. Right? The just person is the person who does right and who seeks to do right. right? In, in the book of Isaiah, it says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Justice in that case is defending the oppressed. Right? So justice and mercy, they go together. Um, you know, let's not be people who overemphasize justice over mercy or mercy over justice, but you know, in, in those instances, they actually lose their meaning. Right? But let's actually um, practice justice and mercy by seeking to right wrongs and being merciful 
to everyone who is suffering because of those wrongs. So how are you doing at practicing mercy with someone who wrongs you or disagrees with you? You know, another thing Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount was, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. Working to be a peacemaker in today's culture has got to be one of the most challenging things to do, right? How do you find middle ground when people are at the opposite ends of the spectrum on a particular issue? You know, take for instance, there are a varied host of opinions on government response to the COVID-19 pandemic. So what does it actually look like to listen to people who are on opposing ends of the spectrum to find a common ground, to um, treat each other with respect and to not vilify anyone? That's the hard work. That's the messy work of trying to be a peacemaker. But God says doing those sort of things actually makes you a child of God and he blesses you for it. You know, uh, Jesus talks about many things. He talks about anger, adultery. He says a lot of those things come from the heart. They're not just um, external acts, but they're even the way we feel about someone, the things we think about someone, right? So putting Jesus's words into practice in that way means that we might actually have to change our minds and change the way we view someone, change the things that we say about them in our head when they harm us or whatever the case may be. Being a, doer, uh, being a doer of Jesus' words means withholding, jumping to these critical, harsh conclusions about someone because we actually don't know all the details, right? Here's, don't worry, it gets, it gets harder as well. I, I, I don't know what, who you would consider your enemies, but here's what Jesus says. Jesus says we're supposed to love our enemies. I know, I know, right? What does that look like for you? It, 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 well, it means blessing the person who hurt us. Um, it actually means praying for the person who we would consider an enemy of ours. It, it means giving up our right to get even, giving up our right to revenge, leaving the situation in God's hands. Being a doer of Jesus' words also means that our religious practices, the good things that we do, um, they have to come from a mindset that brings glory to God, but doesn't bring public acknowledgement to ourselves, right? So, you know, we don't pray, we don't fast or give tithes or offerings for public recognition, right? We do these things because we serve the king and it gives him glory. We wanna make his name great and not our name. We wanna know him more, right? So these are the messy ways that we're called to live like Jesus. And you might say, you know, these sound uh, they sound very, you know, rules-based, but, you know, it's not that. God actually says our obedience flows out of our love for Jesus Christ. Jesus says in, in John's gospel, in, in chapter 14, he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey, do what I say. Jesus says in John 14, 21, he says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. He says, and because they love me, my father will love them. He says, and then I will, I will love that person and reveal myself to them. So love is not just this feeling, right? It's always a practical action. If you are a parent with a child, uh, you know that when your child listens, listens to you willingly and not grudgingly, and you know that they, they do that, you actually feel loved because you're thinking, well, they trust me and they know that I know what's best for them. So I'm guiding them in that way. And they listen to that. Jesus is saying, that's the way that we should act. Uh, the Paul, you know, the Apostle Paul, he, he says it. He says love's a very practical thing. 
you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, a, he says a lot of things about love, but a couple of things he says is that love doesn't demand its own way. He says, love keeps no record of being wronged. Paul says, love is always hopeful. These are very practical things, right? They're not actually just a feeling. So Jesus is saying, listening to me shows your love for me, and it's a practical thing. Listening to me, this practical thing to do is how you show your love. So love is an action word, right? And, you know, finally, why do we even listen to the Sermon on the Mount, right? What is the point in even listening to it? Well, the words, why they actually make sense is not just because they're good sounding words and sound like great moral teachings that we can just ponder. The reason why we should listen to it is because the authority of the teacher is the strength of the message. So as Jesus has concluded his Sermon on the Mount, uh, the Gospel writer Matthew, he concludes that account by saying in verses 28 to 29, he says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law, right? The teachers of the law at the time, they were, uh, they were referencing other teachers. They were talking about things they had said, and that was well and good. But Jesus didn't reference other teachers. He said, no, I say to you, these are what I tell you. He taught with authority, right? So that's the thing. That's the reason why we actually do not just only ponder these words, but we actually put them into practice because Jesus has authority. Let me show you some examples. Jesus has the authority to um, pronounce the forgiveness of sins and to heal bodies. There's this beautiful story in Luke chapter 5 about this paralyzed man whose friends uh, bring him to Jesus to, to be healed. And on their way, they actually have to encounter many obstacles to actually get to Jesus. And they finally do get to him. And Jesus, after seeing the faith of the man and his friends, really, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, right? That's, that's an odd thing to do when someone has come for healing. But the teachers of the law at the time, they couldn't believe this because in that culture, that was just one of the worst things you could say. It was blasphemous because, of course, they knew that only God could forgive sins. But Jesus says, and it's very interesting how they said it in, in how Luke said it, was that he actually knew what they were thinking. He, he didn't hear them say it. He knew what they were thinking. And he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? He asked them, what's easier for me to say? It's easier for me to say, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven, right? And what he does, he says, I want to prove to you that I have authority, that Jesus has authority to forgive sins on earth. So he told the man, get up and walk, take home your mat and go home. And what happened? The man was healed instantly, right? So Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, something God can do only. And he has the authority to heal bodies. Another example, Jesus has the authority over nature, right? Um, you know, in Luke uh, as well, in Luke chapter five, there's this really great story where, you know, Paul, this experienced fisherman and the other fishermen, they are there and they're searching all night and they can't catch any fish. And Jesus tells them though, the next morning to go over there and cast down their nets. And Paul says, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm a fisherman, but you know, there's no fish there. I've been searching all night, but I'll listen to you anyway. Um, sorry, Peter says, Peter says that, my mistake. And Jesus says this, and when, he, when Peter goes over there, he catches the giant load of fish that they could never imagine. And Jesus is saying, because when Jesus says to go over there, the fish go over there, right? Jesus has authority. If he says to go, the fish go. There's another account where Jesus is caught in a boat with the disciples. 
and one word from him and he stops the wind and the waves and the storm. Jesus has control. He has authority over all of nature, both the fish and both the storm. Another reason, um, Jesus actually has the authority to clarify the spiritual interpretation of the law and the cultural misunderstandings of the day. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So Jesus says, the whole law and the prophets is summed up in the golden rule, right? Treat others how you would like to be treated. He also says, you know, here's a common cultural um, saying, but he says it's a, it's a misunderstanding because the cultural saying is, it says, uh, Jesus said, you've heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth because the punishment must match the injury. But Jesus says, but I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer to them the other cheek as well because you're actually giving them a chance to change their ways or to continue in that really bad behavior. Jesus also has the authority to tell us how to attain the kingdom of heaven. He says, not everyone who cries out to me, Lord, Lord, will actually enter the kingdom, but only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So Jesus has the authority. That's what makes the message something that we should listen to. So finally, a, a couple ideas on how we can ensure that we're built to last. First things first, don't judge the word. Let it judge you. If we're saying to ourselves things like, looking at a woman lustfully, um, that can't possibly be as bad as adultery. Or if we're saying things like, loving your enemies, sounds, it sounds really nice and all. That sounds great, but it's not practical. Or if we're acting like um, um, calling someone, like uh, calling someone a bad name, something like calling someone a stupid idiot. If we're acting like that is not this grievous sin that Jesus warns us about, because it actually takes apart and tears apart that, that person's, their personhood as an image bearer of Christ. If we act like those things aren't a big deal, Jesus is saying that we're actually deceiving ourselves. And he's saying that our spiritual house is left vulnerable. Instead, what we should do, we should ask questions like, why did I think those things? Why did I say those things? What's preventing me from showing that person grace and mercy that I've been given? Um, you know, David says this essentially in Psalm 26. He says, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mind. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you um, maybe some ways where you're not actually living up to Jesus' teaching. Um, another thing that we could do is read the Sermon on the Mount in one sitting, I'd say. Read it from chapters 5 through 7 in one sitting and apply it, right? That's finally it. That's the final message of it. It's the person who does the messy work of living like Jesus. But, you know, what we can find is these words are very, very, um, it's, it's, it's humbling and it's very challenging, right? But we can know this. The person who dug, digs down deep, the person who has that confidence and who wants to live like Jesus, we can find out this, just like the um, Apostle Paul wrote. We can be confident, right? We can be confident in the one who holds us and carries us. And as Apostle Paul wrote in chapter 8 of Romans, he said this, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
So those words are beautiful. You know, the spiritual house that has its foundation on the rock of Jesus has a strong confidence in the storm. Yeah, yes, that spiritual house that has the confidence in Jesus, they still endure the storm. They take a beating and we will do that in life. But we can actually rest assured that we're tested, but, but protected, right? We're protected by the Savior's love. So let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these challenging words of Jesus, Lord. And as we read through the Sermon around, as we read through it over these last number of months, dear God, it's like a mirror that's held up to us to say, are we living like you, Jesus? And we all fall short of it. But dear God, help us not to do it in our own strength. Holy Spirit, come into our hearts. Help us to recognize how much we need you to live up to this uh, moral ethic. And so Lord, for all my friends, everyone hearing the word right now, help us not just to hear it, but to put it into practice so that our spiritual home will be protected. The storms will come, Jesus, but we will know that you are with us through the storm. Help us to be salt and light and to actually impact your world, your world in the way that you tell us to. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.